0: Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. sankhang damang <coughs> It's really unfair being the abbot. (laughs) I have to get all the complaints. All people ringing up for counselling in the evening. And just early on in the week, I was talking to my attendant this week, Venerable Damita, and he was saying about this brick wall of yours with the two bad bricks. Where is it? So he went looking for it. And the last time I went looking for it, because it's a true story, but I forgot where those bricks were, because once it's not a problem anymore, you know, you, you actually, it just goes outside of your consciousness, life goes on, you forget about it, but because it became a popular story, I went looking for it, and I, it has to be in the ablution block somewhere, I think I found them, but I think I've lost them again now, because I haven't been down there for a long time, and he couldn't find them as well. He actually said all the bricks were bad down there. <laughs> But it just brought back. It just brought back the whole story, of, and it's a good time to remember this. Whenever there are complaints, whenever things aren't going right, whenever we just look at other people or look at ourselves or look at our meditation, just it's a beautiful story because it was the first time it really made. It's very clear to me, this fault-finding mind, just how it not only destroys the harmony and the peace in this monastery, and in Jhana Grove, wherever else one is living, it also is fundamentally blocks the path meditation. So you just do not get into deep and happy states. It blocks off enlightenment and the, the realizations of the paths and the fruits. And it's such an important topic, I want to focus on it this evening. Because it's just so easy to find the faults in things, the two bad bricks in another person, in oneself, in meditation, in life, you know, in one's partner, because people are always ringing up with relationship problems. And seeing those two bad bricks and focusing on that, to the extent of to, uh, uh, ignoring everything else in that wall, It makes you want to destroy the wall or find some solution. It gives you business to do. You can't be at peace. You can't just let things be because it's a problem which you have to fix. And of course the solution was you cannot fix those two bad bricks. And you know that story so well. In the end, I was told by bricklayers, all bricklayers lay bad bricks. It's just the nature of things. You cannot fix it. This is the nature of walls, brick walls. It's the nature of human beings. It's the nature of your body. You can, no matter how careful you are, you're going to fall off a tractor one day and bust your arm. Or you can do something else which is really stupid because (laughs) that's the nature of your brain, to be two stupid bricks. The rest of them are okay. Now what actually happens here, if you really understand this properly, is that you accept that this is part of the nature of life. That life will not go perfectly. Other people will upset you. Wars will upset you. Your meditation will upset you. Everything, you know, people will not understand you. They will not be sensitive to you. They will not be kind to you why because that's the nature sometimes though you think oh i come to bodhinyana monastery or jana grove this is the perfect place this is heaven please get real this is, still belongs to samsara the realm of suffering remember jana grove is dukkha and bodhinyana monastery is dukkha your heart is dukkha it's suffering so please accept expect this has two bad bricks in it. And in fact, you know, the extension to that story, and I'm saying this for, especially for Ajahn Brahmari, because I've told a couple of stories at lunchtime which he said he's never heard before. Because I tell these on Friday nights and the senior monks don't get to hear the Friday night talks. Or I sometimes tell them, you know, after uh, they leave to wash their bowls to the lay people, but some of the monks don't hear this. And this is a very beautiful little uh, piece of Dhamma which has helped a lot of people. It's a 70% rule. The 70% rule is that when I was a school teacher and I had to set an examination, I didn't know what to do, so I asked some advice and senior teachers said, set it so it is not too difficult, not too easy. Aim for the average score of 70%. Because if everybody gets you know, 30 40%, they will lose their motivation, they will think they can't do this subject, they will give up. But if you, everyone gets 100% or 95%, then it's too easy. and What's the point of having the exam, of testing people on what they really know? Rain for 70%, which means that everybody will be motivated. 7 out of 10, that's pretty good, so they think they can do it. And Number two, the 30% where they make mistakes... That is where you, as their teacher, can understand where they are weak and you can address those weaknesses in your next couple of lessons. The test is to motivate them but also find out what they didn't understand so they could learn and grow. And I always like to use that for this monastery. This is a 70% monastery. If it was 100% good, you learn absolutely nothing. If it was 20, 30 percent, you'd be out of here in a shot. So it is the same with the food, it's 70 percent. If it's too delicious, it's just too much. Well, if it's, if it's too perfect, you'd never learn anything. Actually, the problem here is just too much. But it's only 70 percent too much. <laughs> so it's okay, it's good enough. And it's the same with the teachings, says 70 percent, they're not 100 percent. The same with all the people here. Me, I'm 70% teacher. And uh, the storm monk, Ven. Arani Wehari, he's only 70% good as a storm monk. He's not 100%. That's where he learns. Dania, she's 70% good caretaker. 30% she's hopeless. <laughs> Which is perfect. <laughs> and each one of you are the same. There's disciples, general Damita. I'll give you a score for looking after me the last week, 70%. <laughs> There's a few things you could learn. <laughs> so understanding this, you can see <laughs> that we're accepting those two bad bricks as having a purpose. We're not just focusing on them and finding fault. because It's just too easy in any community in any monastery, in any retreat center, in any hut, with food, it's just too easy to find fault. We know how to do that, we've done it many times. And instead of having this other beautiful sense of gratitude and appreciation, isn't it wonderful? You've got sort of a monk who was, who was stupid enough to get himself in this position of being abbot. I don't know how I let that happen, but here I am. And willing to actually to teach you and not to run away. Isn't it wonderful? We have uh, a monk like a runaway hari who I talked into, we didn't want to do that. I managed to sort of brainwash him, talk him, cajole him into being the store monk. <laughs> Thankless task, because we get so much stuff given, he has to figure out what to do with it all. Isn't it <laughs> wonderful? We managed to get a caretakers like Daddy and Michael. You know, they're not perfect, but they're there. So we're grateful for people. Isn't it wonderful? We've got a coordinator like Burr. Wonderful. She's only 70% though, Burr. But we have the gratitude. And when we have that gratitude, thank you just for for being. And if they cause you any problem, wonderful. That is the, the dog shit for the mango tree simile. That's where you learn... So when there is any problems, we don't complain. That just gets into this fault-finding mind. Instead, we learn from it. It's meant to be, this is how life truly is. And once you have that 70% rule, once we understand the two bad bricks simile, we realize we tend to appreciate things rather than have a fault-finding mind. And when we have the appreciating uh, aspects of our life, we don't even look at the monastery and think of the faults. Which means when we can do that externally, we can start to look at ourselves without seeing all the faults. Which again means that we actually increase our own self-esteem. We find that we are okay, there's nothing much wrong with us. We are the same as everybody else. You know. So understanding that gives you a sense that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with you. I know that some of you think like that, that maybe other people can get into jhanas, other people can get enlightened, but not me. There's something fundamentally missing in my brain or in my mind, and no way that I'm going to get enlightened in this lifetime. No, never think like that. That's just a fault finding mind. And that fault finding mind that just inclines towards the negative. And once you start cultivating that in any area of your life, finding fault with things, you'll find that that will also go into your meditation practice. You're sitting there and you find fault with the body. The legs are not in a correct position. This aches. My body aches. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too windy. This is one of the great tales of the Buddha, which is in the suttas. You know, the monk thinks it's too cold. It's too hot. It's too early. It's too late. It's too light. It's too dark. He never meditates. He always have something to find fault with. And what usually happens then, I'll I'll just... do some little work on my heart first of all, get that out of the way, get my heart perfect and then I'll meditate. And of course you know what happens then, you never get things perfect. So most people are just building their monasteries continually and they never have time to meditate. And this is one of the problems and I've seen this in monastic life, always doing things and never stopping. There's always things to fix up and do. So if you incline towards fault-finding, you will always find business to be done and you will never have any peace at all. But okay that one can try and do a bit more meditation. Here we've got a beautiful monastery, Jhana Grove is immaculate. The very fact we have these facilities there. It's fair enough to say we don't have places like this probably in many other places in the world. This is really quite unique. The thing we've got this here, it's not perfect, but please, feel so grateful we've got the place where we can meditate and be looked after. Amazing. Straight away that gives you joy. You're inclining towards the beautiful, towards the joyful, towards the happiness. With you develop fault finding you incline towards negativity. Negativity towards yourself, towards others, and you know what that fe- feels like. I'm sure all of you have gone into those negative states of mind. I have to watch myself sometimes. I remember being in Indonesia last year. I forget which town it was, but I got to the talk about an hour and a half early. And all these people were lining up. Sign a book, take a photograph. Sign a book, take a photograph. Sign a book, take a photograph. Now after about 45 minutes of that, continually, you know, without a break, I think many of you will get really pissed off. Really fed up. What am I doing this for? This is not what I became a monk for. And I caught myself sort of getting fed up. But I caught that, and I, since I caught it, and it's good I caught it because I thought, no, I'm stuck here. I can't get out. I'm surrounded. There's no way to get out. You couldn't escape. So let's just make peace with it and actually. Enjoy it. And let's incline towards the positive. This is making so many people happy and increasing their faith in the Dharma. What a beautiful thing that is. And it was just reminded me again, you have that choice to incline towards a fault-finding or to incline towards a positive. You have that choice. No one is forcing you to be negative. It's just a bad habit which we sometimes bring in to life from outside. But here we change that habit. We change the habit to see something positive in it. And what happens then is that when you sit down, yeah, my body's not perfect, the cushion's a bit hard, the hut is a bit cold, but it's good enough. And you think, what a wonderful thing it is that I've got my own room, my own hut to meditate in. It's brilliant. I've got the time to do this. You know, I'm maybe not the best of health, but it's good enough. You know, at least I'm not sort of sick in a hospital with drips in my arm. And when you imagine that, and you see the positive, it makes the aches and the pains and the difficulties in the body, which cause restlessness, which stop kaya pasadi, the tranquility of the body, it dispenses with those things. So if you have an ache of pain, oh, it's just part of having a body, what can you do? You let it be. You don't make busyness out of it. You don't do anything with it. You can see when there's negativity, the next stage of negativity and fault-finding is having to do something. With gratitude, with inclined towards the positive, it stops work, it stops activity, it stops having things to do, which is one of the reasons why we like fault-finding. It makes us exist. It strengthens the sense of self. You know, when you find fault with things, wow, that really makes your sense of self, your ego, much more solid. But when you are grateful and positive, again, your sense of self diminishes. To actually, to reach anatta, you can't have fault-finding. Fault-finding just makes the sense of self solid. Gratitude letting things be, loving-kindness, a great word for lack of fault finding diminishes the sense of self. You've got nothing to do, so you just vanish. Remember that's part, I told this uh, for the Anagarikas, when there's a self, there's something which belongs to the self, there's something the self should do. When there's no self, there's nothing to do. Doing and being go together. So when you have nothing to do, you vanish. So when you have no fault-finding but a sense of gratitude and good enough you're beginning to vanish. And you see that with the body. When there's something to do with the body, when you find out this ache, this itch, sneeze this, scratch that, it's endless. But When you say, oh this is good enough, which means there's no business with the body, then the body vanishes, it disappears. You don't feel the aches and the pains. And you notice that sometimes it's the fault finding which creates the aches and pains. Sometimes you're actually looking for something to do. I've seen that with my meditation early on. Sometimes I was sitting meditation, my body was perfectly peaceful, having a good time, and think, what's going on? How's my knees? There must be aching by now. How's my nose? I usually have hay fever now. It should be itchy. And of course, as soon as I think like that, my nose is itchy. I should be swallowing as soon as I think about it, then there is a problem. This is a problem with fault-finding. The fault-finding does actually create the problems. Fault-finding is the opposite of contentment. Fault-finding is called discontent. When you're discontent, you're able to find fault in anything. You know when you're in a bad mood? You're in a bad mood and you can find fault with heaven. In heaven, just the same old heart music, white clothes, these little donuts on top of people heads. Can't they do something different? It doesn't matter how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is. When you have discontent, you find fault with everything and the faults just make more discontent. And you've been there and done that too many times. That creates samsara, that creates a sense of self. Have you ever noticed that big egos of great fault finders and they always want to fix things up they really want to fix things up because they see the faults in things they can do it much better so you think okay i'll be abbot for a week and it'll be a much better monastery please i'll be going on retreat soon please i invite you to be abbot for a week if you're stupid enough if you can be abbot for a month no be abbot for a year and i'm out of here <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, It'd be stupid to do things like that. But a lot of times we think, oh yeah, I can do it much better. So be careful with that fault finding mind, because it creates business. And so if you find fault with the body, it will never be still. You look after it, do the very best, this is good enough, you let it go. 70% comfortable, that's good enough. And it vanishes. Otherwise you just see the two bad bricks in the body, and it's always two bad bricks. The older you get, the more bad bricks there are in. Mean. In Amandas, he's full of bad bricks. But he's still got a few good ones in there. Focus on those and you'll be fine. And there's a few people catching up. Who's actually older, Upasama or Amandas? Yeah, okay. You've got a few bad bricks in there as well, but you just forget about it. <laughs> so, that way we can find some peace. If we incline towards the good, This monastery is good enough, so we don't have to keep fixing it. Then you find you're peaceful, you don't have as much business to do. Then you get into this present moment business. I was talking about that earlier on with uh, Venom Damita. Why is it hard to stay in the present moment? It's always because of discontent. Yeah, I'm in the present moment, but you want to do something else. You're not happy being here. And of course, that discontent is the cause of restlessness. If you are content, the hindrance of restlessness vanishes. And it's happy to be here. Yes, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's good enough. And that means there's no restlessness. There's no reason to move and go places. And you can see that in the present moment, it is the discontent, the fault-finding, which stops you being still. Now this, you know, is going to the refined stuff. You see two bad bricks in the present moment, which means you want to fix it, which means you go off into the future, you go off into the past and the present moment is gone. Of course the present moment is never perfect. There are bad bricks there if you want to look in that direction. But if you want to develop meditation, peace, freedom, liberation, do not look at the mistakes in this moment. Look for the other side. Incline towards the beautiful. Incline towards the positive. Incline towards the good bricks. Incline towards gratitude. I'm in this present moment. This is good enough. At least I can be here. At least I can meditate. Yeah, Jhana's enlightenment, yeah that's for other people. That comes fine, but this just being here and just following the path of the Buddha, just having the the good fortune to be able to be a monk, a nun, a novice, anagarika, whatever you are in this monastery, this is such a bliss. This is good enough for me. Which means in this moment, you appreciate it, you value it. as I've been saying earlier, if you appreciate something and value it, it stays. If you see the faults in it, it vanishes, and you end up fixing it up, trying to make it better. and it's the fixing up that's what makes things worse. Leave it alone. don 't find fault with it. and then you find the present moment stays, it's here. Why does it stay? It's because you develop developed this attitude of non-thought-finding, non-complaining, of gratitude. It's a very beautiful attitude, you see some people and they should complain, There's much to complain about. They say, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to go that place, I'm just going to appreciate. At least the person is trying their best. Yeah, they may not be perfect, but they're doing their best. And you really appreciate people. You know, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes as a senior monk, you have to get people to do things for you. And sometimes, you know, it's, for those of you, I'm sure, Ajahn and Ajahn Bharmada, when you've been head monk, they're you just uh, shaking your head sometimes. You know, even like, buttering my own bread. I can't do that in the morning now. Amanda's does it for me. You don't do a bad job, Amanda's, but if I was fault-finding, <laughs> I could say this, out. That, that. They make me a cup of tea with condensed milk, but it's not the right type of condensed milk. Ah! They <laughs> didn't leave the tea long enough. Because, ah. <laughs> you know, I'd, my breakfast, you know, it comes up. I don't choose it. You guys all choose your breakfast. You can find exactly what you want. You know, maybe you don't want it this t- today when it's another thing the next day. I get the same every day whether I like it or not. <laughs> and you know, it's true. Sometimes I walk past the breakfast. Like, oh, I really fancy some of that today. But I just get the porridge again. <laughs> 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 but for me, I think, oh, it's just so wonderful that you know people have actually made me porridge. I remember when I was a young monkey, in Bob, bop porridge? We never get porridge. <laughs> the very thought of porridge would not make you salivate. <laughs> so I think, gratitude, I'm really grateful to have some porridge in the morning. So <laughs> you could find so easily but you don't get what you want. But nevertheless, it's good enough. So I developed that positive attitude know, throughout my whole day. So when people call me up and just marriage problems, you know, from overseas, you know, well, come on, it's, I'm on retreat. I'm about to give a talk. What are you asking me those questions for? You know, it's so easy to get fault-finding. i say, no, no, come on, let's see if, if you can help somebody. And if I develop that lack of fault-finding throughout the day, no matter what I'm doing and all the work you have to do and all the extra stuff which is put on your plate, because whenever there's a problem, you know, as they say, the buck stops here as far as the Buddhist society is concerned. I have to fix it all up. Other people come and go presidents, but I'm the, the last resort. Not just here, but monasteries overseas or you know, next week having to go to the Santi Monastery to fix that up. Why? Why me? It's a trains retreat. And sometimes you think like that and say, stop it. That's fault finding. That is what's going to wreck your meditation. Not going to Sydney next week. That's not going to wreck the meditation. But complaining and moaning about it, that will. And I know that so well. So I stop complaining. And I feel what a wonderful service this is. And You've heard me say before that when you reflect on the services which you're giving. Not the very fact you have to do it when you should be meditating. The very fact you can do these wonderful things for others. That is lack of fault finding Lack is gratitude, inclining towards the positive. Then when you sit down, it's very easy to stay in the present moment, you're just happy to be here, because you're happy to take phone calls from crazy people overseas. You're happy to do anything which means you have Piti Sukha at the very beginning of your meditation. happy to be in this moment. You've heard me say that one of the reasons why people don't get the nimittas which lead to jhanas, they don't know how to develop Piti Sukha. Fault-finding just destroys Piti Sukha. They're not fault-finding in the meditation as much as fault-finding in your daily life. You get down, you get depressed. You burn up too much energy finding faults. What a waste of time that is. If someone else has done something wrong, it's their karma. Why do you have to suffer for the stupidity of others? Why do you have to destroy your own meditation because someone said stupid things or haven't done their duties? It's their karma, not mine. So you let that all go, which means you preserve your energy your mindfulness, your lack of fault-finding, your beautiful sense of contentment and gratitude. You're developing pretty sukha outside of the meditation. So when you get into meditation, you just don't find fault with the stupid old body of mine. You don't find fault with the stupid kuti, the stupid cushion, the stupid everything, the stupid Buddhism. You don't find fault at all. In fact, you have this beautiful sense of contentment and happiness. You've inclined towards a positive. So from the very beginning, you have piti Sukha, just sitting here with the body, being able to relax it. Oh, this is so nice. So nice just to be in this moment. Oh, this is beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. You're not the most perfect present moment, but you're good enough. At Nalamara I developed a simile which... It was just trying to find similes of what it feels like when you first get into the present moment and you know how it develops. And it was a simile of the, the stone seat. It's just like you've been traveling a long distance and you want to stop. You want to sit down and rest. And the only place you can rest is in this moment. But, you know, this present moment, when I first come into the present moment, it's never delightful enough. It's like stopping the journey and sitting down on this cold, lumpy, uneven, cold, hard stone seat. That's what the present moment feels like to me. It's just a metaphor. But I'm so grateful to have a place to sit down. So happy to have an opportunity to let go of the burden of the past and the worries of the future and all its business of the, the next moments. So happy just to be able to stop. Even though it's not comfortable on my bottom. It's cold, it's lumpy, it's hard. But what I find, the longer I stay in the present moment, the more comfortable it becomes. It is like the stone seed. As long as you keep sitting on it, it gets warmer. And it gets softer. And it gets even. And after a few seconds, maybe a minute at most, it's like I'm sitting down on a very soft divan, a beautiful armchair, upholstered with all sorts of cushions. It becomes so comfortable the longer I stay there. And this is what I find, this is why I understand, if you find fault it gets more uncomfortable, harder, more lumpy. But If you understand the seam of the two bad bricks and don't go into negativity, go into gratitude, inclining towards the positive, inclining towards the beautiful, the present moment becomes beautiful, it becomes lovely, just to stay, sit here, just to be here and have no nothing to do. And imagine how much work I've got to do. But I said, no, no, right now there's nothing to do. This is my rest time, this is my meditation time, all that other stuff. Later on I'll pick it up, but not now. Wherever I've come from, whatever's happened, not now. I sit in this present moment, it becomes really beautiful. I incline towards a delightful present, the piti sukha of just being here. And it's really comfortable. And of course, because it is comfortable being here, because you're inclining towards the delight rather than the fault-finding, the piti sukha grows and all these thoughts don't come in. Again, the common question, Vendamita asked it to me tonight, and it's, it's a question I've heard so many times, the thoughts just come in from nowhere. They just come in by themselves. What should I do? Should I try and just let them be or get rid of them? What should I do? And the reason is because that they didn't come from nowhere, you open the door for them. What do I mean by opening the door to thoughts? That's opening the door of discontent. You had not enough piti sukha with this present moment. There's not enough delight. So what happens when you're discontent? You go and look for something to distract yourself. Some thought, some idea, some fantasy, some plan, some dream, anything. Rather than just be here. If you're really content with this moment, the doors through which thoughts come into your mind will all be closed. They just can't come in. Why? Because you've got too much pity Sukha in this moment. But you have a bit of negativity, it's not good enough, doors are flung open. And all sorts of thoughts can come up. and You can get restless and just go thinking for hour after hour. So it's really important not to have thought-finding and negativity. It stops the Piti Sukha rising. And you're watching the breath, the breath just comes eventually. But you know what happens in meditation? This is not good enough, I've been meditating for two hours and all I've got is a present moment. should be at nimitta by now. Ajahn Brahm says, you know, you've got to get nimittas and it's only one month already gone, I'm getting nowhere. Ah, But please, as I've said so many times sitting in this seat, meditation is not about getting nimittas, it's not about jhanas, it's not about insight, it's about being peaceful. Putting the causes into place overcoming, abandoning, letting go of the hindrances. That's our job. Our job is to abandon hindrances, not to get jhanas. By which I mean, set up the causes, overcome the obstacles, and all these limiters, jhanas, insights, they come as a natural result of these things disappearing. But if you aim for the result, you never get anything. You aim for the causes, put those in places, then it happens. So, abandon restlessness. Just be happy to be here. Be content. No fault finding. Piti Sukha just grows. This breath, when it comes in, is delightful from the very beginning. And because you've been inclining towards the beautiful, you recognize the beautiful. I was saying that when any Piti Sukha comes up in meditation, It's not to be investigated. It's not to be let go of. If any Piti Sukha comes up in meditation, as Ajahn Bhammali and the other party experts know, it is to not to be feared. It is to be developed, made much of, followed. So that's what we should do when Piti Sukha comes in, according to the words of the Buddha. He didn't say investigate it. He said, not by itabang, I say withabang, bahuri bang, It is to be, not to be feared, not to be discarded, but to be developed, made much of, followed. Brilliant teaching. Because often we do the opposite. Somehow or other we've been taught, brainwashed, that if you have fun in meditation, something must be getting wrong. You're going to get attached to it. Be careful, it's a big danger. Piti sukha, red light, ah, it's. Absolutely ridiculous, because it's so clear, taught by the Buddha, this is what's supposed to happen, don't find fault with a piti sukha. Crazy, isn't it? Why would you find fault with bliss? Well, people can find fault with anything, that's the trouble with fault finding. You can find fault with Nibbana. Mahayana people do that. You should get Nibbana, you should come back again to serve other people. That's really mega fault-finding. I don't think you get more fault-finding than that. (laughs) I better be careful. People find fault with this teaching now. Slagging Mahayana, people will say. Well, that's not the point. Stop finding fault. And you get pity, Sukha, because you're inclining towards that from the very beginning. Because you're not having a fault-finding mind, a mind which inclines towards the beauty. It's a beautiful wall. Remember what that man said when he saw that? a beautiful wall. I could only see the faults. Fault-finding could not see the beauty in the wall I laid. The other guy could. And it taught me how to meditate. You look for the beauty. It's a beautiful wall. It's a beautiful meditation you're doing. Wonderful. See that beauty. Pitisuka comes up from the very beginning. So when you get onto the breath, oh, it's beautiful, this breath. And because it's beautiful, you don't have any distractions. You're enjoying, satisfied, valuing this delightful breath. Just coming in and going out all by itself, automatic. I don't know how it does it. I don't do it, it just does it by itself, you know, it's done it for 61 years and a bit more. My breath, amazing, hasn't missed once yet, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Brilliant. I just sit here and just watch it, comes in, goes out, it's just so delightful. Because I'm not looking at thoughts, I'm not thinking, oh, when's the limiters going to come? It's about time limiters come up, you know. Ajahn Brahm said, if you watch a beautiful breath, limiters will come. It hasn't come up yet. Look, stop finding fault. Just enjoy the bliss of not fault-finding, appreciation. And it's just like, you know, that hard seat simile. It happens with the breath as well. Actually, when my breath comes up, it's always pretty nice. But the longer I stay with it, it gets nicer. The seat gets softer and warmer and more beautiful. This is what happens. And just. The pity sukha gets more and more, but you never find fault with it. If you find fault with it, it's too strong, it's too weak, it's too up and down, or whatever, it goes. Which is one of the reasons why people start doing things. You find it's missing something, or you find it's not enough, or it's too moving around, or it's not exactly what it should be. When you find fault with it, the next thing is you mess around with it, you do something. Please let fault finding go a long time before. And then what happens? You know, all know the what happens next. The breath just disappears by itself and don't find fault with the disappearance of the breath. The breath shouldn't disappear. What's gonna happen next? I'm gonna die. He said that's all fault finding. So what if you die? Stop finding fault with dying. Everybody does it. <laughs> if I die, fine. So don't don't find fault with anything. You might as well die here. You get a free funeral. You go in the recycling bins, on a Friday. And save your family a lot of money. Very simple, very easy. So, so you can imagine, just just don't find fault at all. Okay, breath goes fine, die fine. So you can see the gratitude there. Oh, how wonderful it is to die in a monastery, in a temple. That's amazing, good karma. So blissful. Amazing. So you can see so much positive in anything that you don't do anything. You're happy being here, it keeps you still. Fault finding, and you start to move. Now, this is really important when you get to the next stage of breath disappears. Okay, so it's dark, and Nimit hasn't arisen yet. Don't find fault with the darkness. Don't find fault with the lack of nimittas. Be so grateful you got so far. You got the delightful breath, of breath has disappeared. That's so amazing. Very few people can do that. There was one of our monks, Aikagata, he went to this Christian meditation teacher. She was really well known, I won't say what her name is. And she said that you know, the most she could do was to watch maybe four breaths in a row without thinking. And she was a teacher, renowned. So if that's all they can do. You can just watch the breath for 10 or 15 minutes. It's amazing. Well done. So don't find fault with yourself. Be so grateful you've outdone the Christians. <laughs> I don't find fault with that statement either. <laughs> so it means you can be at peace with yourself, it's good enough. Don't find fault with the darkness which sometimes appears. Because that fault-finding sucks away the piti sukha. Instead, be grateful. And then piti suka is just there straight away. You're inclining towards the beautiful. You're inclining towards the joy. You're developing it. That's how it's done. And so when the joy comes out, these nimiters come up. This is where the big fault-finding starts. Be careful. I can't take this. Too much. At last. That's all refined but very powerful types of fault-finding. Gratitude just allows it to come. Oh, beautiful, it's here, it's very strong, that's fine. If you don't find fault, it's never too strong or too weak. That's finding fault with it. It's never moving too much or too little. That's finding fault. It's never too big or too small. That's finding fault. You can imagine what it is when you're just grateful. It's beautiful that this ping pong, not that's, sorry, that's Jhanas, this, this pinpoint nimiter. That's good enough. That's so beautiful. I've got a nimiter. Woohoo! In other words, you don't find fault at all. You're totally content. And you know what happens next. You understand. Because of contentment, the piti sukha keeps growing. Find a little bit of fault with it. It weakens the whole sort of uh, progress. So you're just so content. (laughs) Every stage, so grateful you've got so far. And that piti sukha then starts to really build up. Don't find fault at all. Doesn't matter how strong it is, good enough for me. You know it's amazing that sometimes people find fault with too much happiness. That's the time when they think, I don't deserve this. The fault finder comes right at the very end. Just stops you getting into the jhanas. Why? It's because you've been finding fault your whole damn life. And now the old habit comes up and stops you. So. Understanding that fault finding and stopping it, stop complaining, stop writing notes, stop sort of uh, criticising, stop sort of moaning and groaning and grouching and all that sort of stuff. Stop it during your daily life when that nimitta comes up. You just can't fault find It's just not your habit. It's not your character anymore. Not only are you a beautiful person which people love because you're always so positive and And you know what it's like, I say in retreats, people come and say they've been sleeping all day, I say, very good. They say, I just killed the neighbour next door, I say, very good. (laughs) They never said that yet, but if they do, I'll probably say, very good. I'm going to have to call the police now, but they're very good, the police. (laughs) Whatever, you know, it is very hard when you get out of the habit to find fault with anything. Which means that when you get to these nimitta stages, it becomes natural. You incline towards the beautiful, and even that wonderful stage when the first nimittas come up, and they're not so powerful, they're not so beautiful. They just haven't got the oomph behind them yet. Just naturally, you incline towards the beautiful part of that nimitta. Well, there's a story I love telling. Years and years and years ago. Not that many years ago, but I think one of the first times, that's right, the first time I went to England after being in Thailand for quite a few years. And I think uh, the monastery in Chittas had started nowhere else. And Ajahn Sameda took me up north on a Dharma teaching tour of the north and up to Scotland and stuff. And we're invited to go teach this weekend retreat in Doncaster. Now for those of you who don't know England, Doncaster is in the industrial north and at this time I think Margaret Thatcher had just closed down all the coal mines. It was a prosperous city years ago but now it was really heaps of unemployed, lots of closed businesses and factories. It was just one of these decaying cities, remnants of the industrial revolution. And when we arrived, the people there said it's very rare that someone comes to Doncaster on the weekend. They all leave on the weekend. <laughs> and so we were there. And we went for a walk in the morning for exercise. We went to the park, a beautiful church, I forget where. And that was where I remember this guy came up to, to Raja Sumato, and said, I think, you're old enough to know better. I was with him. He's <laughs> just criticizing this person for being a monk. But anyway, that we went to these nice areas. When we came back, we told the, uh, the host where we'd been. and said, that's really interesting, because you guys are really positive. He said, the monk who came the last time to teach a retreat, he went down to the gas works, the canal, which was really dirty and grubby in the industrial area, because he was a negative character. Negative characters never get to Jhana's. There's, you go for a walk. Where are you going to go for a walk? When you go for a walk, do you go to a walk to the, the workshop? Or do you go to a walk by the, by the lakes or up into the beautiful forest and see the sunsets? Where do you go for a walk? Do you go for, to see how the, that sewage drain is doing by the ablution block? <laughs> Where do you incline? The thing I think I made the message quite clear there. Because you find that that's going to be a very good indicator whether you're going to get deep meditation or not. Do you incline towards the beautiful while you're a thought finder? And if you incline towards the beautiful, what happens? You see these nimittas and straight away you don't even tell yourself. The mind automatically goes to the most beautiful part of the nimitta. And you get this wonderful process. In the most beautiful part of the nimitta, that grows and it gets more beautiful. You go to the most beautiful part, of the most beautiful part, of the most beautiful part, the most beautiful part, the most beautiful part. That nimitta explodes. In a beautiful bliss. And then you get jhanas. That's how it works, because you're inclining that direction. Those people who are fault oh the nimitta's too dull. Or, oh, I see that dirty spot over there. I've got to fix that up. It creates too much business. You can't have stillness. And that's where you get into the deep meditations of the jhanas. And this is why fault finding has been long abandoned. Beautiful appreciation, which gives you stillness. And with that stillness, you have the power when you come out to so see it's just the attitudes we have in our mind those are our strengths and those are our problems the attitudes of negativity, even like lust, it's a reaction to negativity, looking for something to give us some pleasure rather than just being at peace with the pleasure we have of just being with the breath. All of these reactions we have, a lot of times coming from fault-finding. So we can just let go of that. The passing into jhanas will be so easy. And then of course you know that you have enough power, hindrances have disappeared, you can really see things as they truly are. A lot of these teachings of the Buddha, which you read about, that are so clear to you. If you see them, you can get sort of insights, real deep insights. So try not to be a fault finder. Try stopping it early. Not only does it give a much more harmonious community. It just takes away all of the problems which, you know, stop you enjoying this place and stop you enjoying the solitude and stop you enjoying the meditation. You have a much happier life, you have much deeper meditation, who knows, you may even become enlightened. It's the fault finders of the problems. Restless, negativity, lack of self-esteem, never really attain very much, just go round and round and round suffering. So that's the talk this evening. And please don't find fault with it.